Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. At Encounter, it's our vision to see people to go from dead to alive, from stranger to neighbor to family, and from single to married in Jesus' name. (laughs) Okay, I made the last one up, but it can really feel like that in church sometimes, right? Uh, There's this culture of like finding the one um, that's just in general over like social media and all the shows that you watch and all the rom-coms I watched with my mum as a child. Don't tell me you didn't watch any. Um, It's just like everywhere. And so that means it's also in our churches. Um, And so it seems like we we live in a culture, uh, both in the church and out of the church, that is just obsessed with finding the person that is right for you. Um, the person that will complete you. Now, personally, I find food more compelling to complete me than I do a relationship. Um, I love food, and I love cooking, and I think I'm a fairly good cook now. I did not used to be a fairly good cook, but living alone does those things to you. Um, But I hate cooking for myself. I really, really hate cooking for myself because I do all of this work, I do all of this effort, and I'm the only person who gets to enjoy it. I don't get to show it off to my friends, I don't get to show it off to my family. I'm the only one who gets to enjoy it. And so I've been come to known, be known by name by my local Domino's pizza delivery guy. <laughs> they say things to me like, oh, it's good to see you again, Jacob. And it's been a really long time since I've seen you, Jacob. And I'm starting to think that I'm going to have to write a farewell card when I leave my current house and move. <laughs> This is what singleness has looked like for me. It's been living alone, learning a bunch of new things and, and, and a new journey in my own life, um, and uh, enjoying the things that I enjoy, uh, buying pizza and watching silly stuff on television, uh, painting my miniatures, uh, or hanging out with my friends. I've actually been really, really enjoying this single life recently. Uh, I've been enjoying the time that I've spent alone and the time that I've spent with others and doing the things that I love. But there are times when I really miss being in a relationship where I really miss doing the couple of things that you do with when you're in a relationship. Uh, And so I find that uh, when I share these feelings with my friends and family, I often come up against this culture of the one, where it's like, oh, you just have to, like, find the right person. Or, like, I think maybe God's calling you to wait a little bit and you just need to grow a little bit more. Or just like, oh, you know, like, clearly that person wasn't the right person for you and there's going to be another person and they're going to be amazing and they're going to be great and you're going to have a great marriage and everything like that. And so I think when we come to this culture of the one, uh, we live and believe a lie that uh, the secular culture has has told the church culture, in order to be happy, you have to be married. Loneliness is this really real struggle in singleness, often because you spend so much time alone. Um, Often we actually uh, associate singleness with loneliness. If you're single, clearly you're lonely. So clearly you want a partner and clearly you want to get married and clearly you want all the things that come with being married. Um, We view it as a really real problem to fix and we uh, need to get marriage ready in our singleness. That's kind of the purpose of singleness is to be good enough to find somebody that you're like okay to be married with. 
Um, and often this comes with uh, uh, unsolicited advice from friends or pressure to date from other people. Um, and th these come in the form of encouragement usually, but sometimes it kind of feels like pity. And sometimes it happens mostly at weddings when you're the only single <laughs> person on the table. And everybody's just like, so, who are you interested in right now? Like, who's the, who's like, you know, sparking your interest right now? You know, like, what's the, what's the, we want to see you grow and like, and find that special somebody in your life. Um, and so uh, often we think that then a relationship's going to fix this single person's problems, or a relationship will just fix your problems in general. I'm insecure, but if I get into a relationship, I'm going to feel so secure, and I'm feeling lonely, and if I get into a relationship, I'm not going to feel lonely, because we're going to spend all of our time together, and it's going to be great and amazing. Um, I'm not going to be lonely. I'll just feel like this whole new person and really secure. I'm going to need all a relationship. All of my problems will be fixed. All of my, thing, my issues are going to disappear. And so we think of singleness as a problem for God to fix in us rather than a gift from God that is good for us. So today as we get into the word and we unpack singleness, I believe God is wanting to renew our minds around singleness. There's some lies that we've been living and believing about it that we need to be, uh, be set free from. So let me drink and then we'll pray and then we'll get into the word because I can already feel myself getting coarse. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gift that your Holy Spirit is to us. We thank you that uh, you continually meet us in our, in our needs and in, our, uh, in the challenging topic that singleness can really be for some of us. Um, in the way that we interact with other people, in the way that we pursue relationships, Lord, would you just be in and through it all, um, blessing and redeeming us and, uh, and giving us a new perspective. May there be open hearts and open minds to hear what you have to say tonight, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, whenever we think of this idea of singleness in the church, we often think of it as not good. This idea comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. Uh, God declares from the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone, and therefore we infer singleness is not good, right? Later throughout the Old Testament, we see God gives blessing to family, mainly through marriage, sex, and children. Um, and the family is upheld as an image of God's blessing upon humanity. You receive the blessing in marriage, you live out the blessing through sex, and you pass on the blessing through your children. However, toward the end of the Old Testament, we see this shift begin to take place in the uh, biblical author's mind um, concerning blessing. The barren women are lifted up in Isaiah 51 verse, uh, 54 verse 1. Um, people who could not have children were lifted up by uh, the prophet Isaiah. And then eunuchs are given a special place of honour in Isaiah 56 verse 3 to 5, uh, which I'm going to read out now. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. There is a special blessing better than the previous blessing of marriage, sex and children coming. In the New Testament, we see that marriage is still honoured but it's no longer seen as the thing that completes a person. It's no longer the way, the only way you receive the blessing from God. And I think the most important and the first example we see in the New Testament is Jesus. Jesus, born of a virgin, he is a blessing who is given outside the boundaries of marriage and sex. 
It's so important because his very birth redefines the categories we have for God's vision for humanity. His life of singleness allows us to redefine what it means to be a whole person. If Jesus could be whole as a single person, can I not be too? Jesus believes that marriage is good, but he doesn't get married himself. In fact, in Matthew 22, verse 30, he says that marriage isn't in heaven, and therefore it's just an earthly blessing. If marriage is excluded from the resurrection, how can it be God's primary vision for human flourishing? Jesus also redefines the boundaries of who his family is in Matthew 12, verse 50. It's not his blood relatives, not the people that he's directly related to, his mother and brother, but it's his spiritual relatives, uh, those who do the will of God. He doesn't dismiss the family as unimportant, but he recategorizes who his family is. And Paul uh, takes this and, and runs with it in his epistles. He says the church is a bride in the body of Christ, and we receive this communal identity of what it means to belong to Jesus. He unpacks what it means for the family to be the community of God, and he takes our eyes off of earth and goes, the people here are not your community. The people up here are your community. Your spiritual brothers and sisters and God, they are your family. He highlights Timothy as a spiritual son, and he emphasizes the need for spiritual fathers within the church. And so he redefines for us what it means to be part of the family of God. And so if our biblical vision for human flourishing excludes Jesus our Savior and Paul the Apostle, what kind of vision are we buying into? What Jesus and Paul challenge is an idolatry that the church has gotten itself caught up in, an idolatry of sex and marriage. And I think this has happened in a few ways, and I want to highlight two that are really important for us as we unpack singleness. First, the enlightenment, which reduced the importance of community and increased the importance of the individual. It denied the need for persons to be intimately connected with uh, and aware of their spiritual need of God, um, and instead encouraged uh, humanity to be in charge and separated from God. Our culture moved from a personal God to an autonomous self. I determine what is right and wrong, not God. And the way we would determine what is right and wrong is through rationality and reason instead of a God who loves us and is um, declared from the beginning, this is good. And so we as a culture and a society become uh, disconnected from God to chase desire-driven self-sufficiency. And so we need a new source of meaning in our lives because God no longer is that source. So where do we find it? Find it in you. I find it in other people. Find out what you think of me. And so Joshua Beckett says this about our disconnection between humanity and God. As God recedes from the day-to-day consciousness of our societies and communities... Earthly relationships, especially erotic ones, become frightened with a much greater significance, but they can't sustain the weight that is thrust on them. And as a consequence, people without a sexual partner come to be seen as deficient and pitiable. We are considered incomplete human beings until we find that special someone rather than distinct and potentially fruitful in our own unique way. Our culture places such an emphasis on earthly relationships, we miss the most important relationship we have, our one with God. We bury our dating partners and spouses with a weight that was never meant for them to bear. We identify people who don't have those relationships as, quote, deficient and pitiable. We truly believe that marriage is the pathway to completeness. Now, I'm going to assume everyone in this room says, no, I totally wouldn't believe that. That's not what I believe. By the actions that we live out, say otherwise. We assume that marriage is God's intention for every individual. We assume that a single adult should be actively looking for a partner. And we assume older signals have given hope to find a partner. And we pity them. 
We assume that Lavember will get people into relationships and progress relationships into marriage. We assume that singles will um, want us to find them dates and assume that they're unhappy in their singleness. And these assumptions are a culture that we have come to accept and repel within the church and within our church, either intentionally or by accident. We believe singleness is not a valid space to remain as a person, but it is a place to grow into someone desirable enough to become married. We don't value singles outside of their potential to be married, and these assumptions increase anxiety and pressure to single people to find the one. Secondly, our churches have embraced the narrative of fulfillment that is found in sexual intimacy. The idealization and idolatry of sex in our culture is really well documented and really well known, but we've let it get into the church. As we have attempted to rally against the hedonistic and promiscuous society that we live in, um, we do this by not proclaiming that celibacy and singleness is good, but that marriage is best in sex, uh, sex is best in marriage. When we do this, we don't elevate celibacy and singleness, which is good, um, but we continue to elevate sex and offer marriage as a solution to uh, sexual desire. And when we do this, we devalue marriage, we devalue singleness, and we devalue sex all in one go. We make jokes about our failure to have self-control and we trivialise it as a fruit of the spirit and we offer marriage as a concession to the lack of our own self-control. We don't deny the culture's claims of sexual idolatry, but we move that from sex into marriage. Now, I want to be really clear, and this might not be clear from what I've been saying. I think marriage is good. (laughs) Jesus thinks marriage is good. Paul thinks marriage is good. Our issue isn't that we think marriage is good, but we put it in the place of God in our lives. We idolize and idealize it so much in the church, and therefore we see singles as deficient and someone to be pitied, and we get caught up trying to help our single friends solve their problem of singleness, but it's not, uh, singleness isn't a problem to be solved, it's actually the norm for the Christian life. When we catch this, uh, if, we, if we don't catch this, we fail to believe that singleness and celibacy and singleness isn't the normal way for our Christian lives, but it's also lovely and beautiful and full of joy, and we rob ourselves of the fullness of the body of Christ in our churches because we say, singles, you do not have a home here unless you want to get married. And so in this, we then believe that Jesus is not enough for us and we need another person to fill in us what Jesus is incapable of doing. If we continue to believe that those who are single uh, are missing out or have it harder than those who are married, we haven't captured the full extent of the gospel. And Sam Olberry, a celibate same-sex attracted Christian, says this about celibacy and singleness. Ever since I've been open about my own experiences of homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything of all of us. We are so easily distracted by the allure of what the world offers that we forget who we are first promised to. We forget our first love. The hope for all of us, not just for singles, is Jesus in all of his fullness and all of his glory. There is an eternal hope for us. It's not found in singleness. It's not found in marriage. It's only found in Jesus. And so if you're a note taker, my first point for today, Jesus is fully sufficient for us. I know this might seem like a really simple point, but like I said, we often get distracted and we miss this. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. 
No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus tells us he is sufficient to fully meet our needs forever, not just now, but all throughout eternity. We get distracted by the things we desire of the world around us, and then even good things that we desire become idols that take us away from God. If Jesus is fully sufficient for us, singles aren't second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Because in Jesus, we are full participants in all spiritual blessing available in the kingdom of God. And having Jesus our possession is sufficient to be fully blessed in the kingdom of God. And the late, great Tim Keller said this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Our human condition of sin and brokenness brings a lot of hurt and pain to our lives. And last week, Mike unpacked how our relationships with others can cause us hurt and how that causes, can cause us to continue the cycle of hurt into other people and can continue to cause pain in our relationships. And when we look to our relationships to satisfy our desires, we're looking for a person created in the image of God to fulfill what God is uniquely equipped to fulfill in us. Worse, we stop looking at people as uniquely loved children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we view them as vessels to fulfill our desires. So we need a redirection of our desires. Instead of placing them on people, we need to surrender them to God. Our desire reminds us of our need to be connected. Our desire isn't a bad thing. It's just in the wrong place. It's misdirected and disordered. The desire, all desire is good and comes from God. It's us that corrupts it. It's the sin in us that corrupts it. And so we need to take that desire and put it back where it belongs, onto Jesus. David is honoured as a man after God's own heart, not because he's a perfect person. He's actually really, really far from a perfect person. Because every single time he did something wrong, every single thought, every single feeling that he had, he laid bare before God and said, this is me. This is everything I have. I give it all to you, God. And we read that all through the Psalms that David held nothing back. Job likewise is honoured by God, not because he didn't get angry. He got angry at God a lot, but he got angry at God. He got angry with God together. They surrendered their desires to God, whether those desires were holy desires or not. And so we don't need to battle our desires, the desire for a spouse, the desire for a sexual partner, the desire to be intimately connected to another person. Uh, we need to submit them to God. Because isn't it true that when we try and fight the desire, it only makes it worse? We did a churchwide fast two weeks ago. And uh, during that fast, I found it exceptionally hard to not eat food when I was trying to not eat food. And I found it so much more, like I said, I love food. Um, but I found it so much easier when I submitted that desire to God and said, you feel this in me, God. You are sufficient for me. And I'm praying and giving this to you so that I do not stumble and fall. And so once we acknowledge and submit our desires to God, we remove the control that they have over us. When we submit to them, them to God and redirect them upward into him, we find that they are transformed and met in ways that we can't imagine. We embrace Jesus fully and receive this new identity. I am a son. I am a daughter of the living God. I, I belong here. And I'm driven again and again, not into the arms of a partner, but into a God who loves me, into Jesus. I am found fully known, fully loved, and fully complete in him and him alone. And, and this is the gospel that as I expose myself and my desires to Jesus... 
I see that I am more broken than I know, and yet at the same time, I am met with his immeasurable love and his immeasurable grace. And he speaks to me um, in the space of my brokenness, and he tells me who I am, that I am a beloved child of his, that I am not a slave to my desires, but I am more than a conqueror in his power and in his name. I am seen, I am known, and I am loved right in the midst of my brokenness. From the space of being fully known and fully loved, we're then driven to loving others. Because when we experience the overwhelming love of God, it directs us to compassion for other people. Because if we hate our brother and sister, we don't know the love of Christ and we haven't experienced his love. Because if we had, we would know just how broken and loved we are and therefore just how broken and loved they are too. 1 John 4.19, if you've done ID, you would know this off by heart already, I hope. Um, So please say it with me. We love because he first loved us. So why would I limit myself to singleness if I can have Jesus and a spouse? Like if Jesus is fully sufficient for everybody, can't I have my cake and eat it too? Can't I be married and also be you know, in the sufficiency of Jesus. This is my second point for today, perhaps a little bit more controversial. Wholehearted devotion to God is only available in singleness. Paul says that if you are single, you are only devoted to the Lord, so it just gets to be you and Jesus all day, every day, baby. (laughs) But if you're married, you need to serve your spouse. You need to be concerned about your husband or your wife as well as serving the Lord. You can't uh, wholeheartedly serve God because you're going to neglect your spouse. And you can't wholeheartedly serve your spouse because you're going to neglect the Lord. You need to balance the two covenants that you've made and serve both of them equally. And so this is why it's important to clarify that the norm for Christian living is single celibacy and not marriage. Because singles can be wholly and fully devoted to the Lord. The best servants in the Bible were single people. Singleness isn't a unique calling. It's the way that Jesus and Paul lived their lives. It's the normal way to be a Christian. Singleness is still difficult. It's not like, I'm suddenly, like, this is so easy because I'm single and I love Jesus and it's just me and him all day. Singleness can still be hard. It's still lonely. But you get to run and turn to Jesus in every circumstance that you would run and turn to a partner. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to walk this back, but I want to, again, clarify. I don't hate marriage. I think it's good, and I, I, I love my married friends. Um, uh, but both marriage and singleness need to be viewed through this lens as practice for living in the kingdom of God. Any other way removes them both from the purposes of God. How do I love others out of the love I have received? This is the mindset we need when we approach both of these areas. Because God blesses marriage through sacrificial love, which creates intimate community. And God blesses singleness through sacrificial love, which creates dependence on God. Both of us are required to live outside of ourselves, to practice what it looks like to live in that kingdom. And so my third point for tonight is the church needs the unity of married and single people. Each of us has this unique way that we live out the kingdom of God in our life to others. Singles live it out out uniquely. Married people live it out uniquely. And we need unity between both of these groups to see the fullness of Christ in our churches. 
And so married people need single people in their life to remind them of their need for Jesus who sustains their marriage. Singles remind married people of their incompleteness apart from Jesus and encourage them to live a life of godly differentiation from their partner, to independently and cooperatively pursue God, to not let their marriage go on the highs and lows of their emotion, but remind them of their covenant responsibility to the marriage that they were called to when they came together. Likewise, single people need married couples to witness to them how the love of God creates family and intimate community. Um, they remind singles that it isn't good for man to be alone. And the solution is not to go and find a spouse, but to be a part of a family who loves and is connected to you, the family of God. They also remind signals of single, singles of their covenant responsibility to celibacy. And I'll let Peter talk about that in a couple of weeks. I'm so blessed when I get to be a part of someone's family in this church, when I am invited into their family and their space, and I'm allowed to cook for them, I'm allowed to clean for them, I'm allowed to do chores for them, I'm allowed to be a part of their... (laughs) Um, When I'm allowed to be a part of their family and invest in their children, but also when I receive that hospitality, when we get to spend time together, I get to be physically, presently included as part of the family. And so I think family dinners is an equalizer in this space because as a single person, I get to go to a family dinner, cook a meal, wash dishes, vacuum, and spend time with kids that are not my own and invest in them in ways that I cannot invest normally and live out the love of God that is in my life by serving their family. I'm invited and included into families of those in my family dinner, and I get to participate as part of that family. My hospitality as a single person is not seen as insignificant or unimportant. I'm going to be honest. Like, if I cook, I'm cooking for for one at home, um, and it's like nine meals. Um, (laughs) But when I go to a family dinner, I get to cook for nine people one time. And so... I get to be this, this, this blessing to my family dinner as they are a blessing to me. I get to be a blessing to the family of God as, as they are a blessing to me. I get to live out the love of God to them as they live out the love of God to me. And so I want to ask us today, for you, what does it mean for you to be a part of the family of God? What does it mean for you to love from the love of God to others? What does it look like for you to self-sacrificially Love from the love that you have received. Because if Jesus is all sufficient for you, man, what does that mean to be part of the family of God? If, if, if the love of Jesus is truly within us, what does it mean to extend that love to others? And so as I come to a close, and, and band, you guys can come back up. Um, I believe God wants to do uh, two things tonight. Um, and the first thing that I think he wants to do is speak truth to lies. Um, the lies that we've been living or believing around relationships and singleness, um, whether we've been perpetuating the culture of you've got to be married to be content and happy, um, whether we've been living in our own lives that, man, I really need a relationship to be happy, like if I just was in a relationship, everything would be okay. Um, whether we've been living in a, in a life of, man, I need to be fulfilled, so I'm just going to go out and sleep with people. I'm just going to go out and get into relationships that aren't healthy. Um, I'm going to do things to try and fill the hole in me that only God's meant to fill. Um, 
I think God wants to speak truth to those lies and his promises into that and, and call you his own and call you his possession and that you belong to him. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Um, and so if that's you today, if everyone can stand now. Um. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.